The stuff you dream about. Tatum guarded by Siakam gets by him. Tatum, no! And it's into the hands of Siakam. Here comes Powell. Powell with Smart defending. Oh, it's blocked by Smart. What a play! Unbelievable defensive play by Marcus Smart. So after 456 days, the Raptors finally ended their title defense with a game seven defeat against the Boston Celtics, 92-87. As said on our social media, we decided to take a step back and reflect a little bit on this game and the season so far before recording a podcast. So it's a more technical approach rather than an emotional one. And someone who is, of course, king of technocracy joins me today. Varel, welcome to the podcast once again. That game six was absolute rubbish, Kamel. I can't believe what I saw. The Celtics, they shot 23% from three. They had 56% from the free throw line and they still somehow won this game, Kamel. If yeah, you look was... at the stat line of the Boston Celtics, you would think there is no possible way that the Raptors lost, but somehow they pulled out the win. I'm still very, very frustrated. Well, everyone would be frustrated because the Toronto had 18 turnovers. And that's the, this is the first point we're going to bring up. We're going to go right into it. 18 turnovers that the Boston turned into 31 points. The Celtics scored over a third of their game points from Toronto turnovers. It's an absolutely criminal thing to do. And there were certain players at fault. Are we going to go into the habit of calling out the individuals? I know they've got enough uh, enough heat already, but I'm just going to say Siakam 5 turnovers. He got as many field goals as he, as he did turnovers. So uh, no wonder he was a minus in this game. Um, other factors that played a part in this was simply, I think, Raptors' sloppiness, you know, in terms of, let's let's focus on the defensive end. So you had turnovers, you had end-of-clock situations, which allowed the Celtics to get back in it. The team that throughout this series, Kemba Walker was able to score at will whenever there was less than three seconds left on the clock. There was strange decisions on the defensive end to have Mark Gasol in for the same minutes as Serge Ibaka, despite Ibaka playing extremely well and Gasol almost losing, as we said in the last podcast, losing his technical ability once again. He had one of the worst series for, for a veteran, uh, I think, in it must be in any, any title defending history. He, he's just dropped so much since the 2019 postseason. Um, but if you have to put, if you have to put in game seven, one factor, and you've already said about Raptors, uh, about Celtics three-point shooting, um, somehow leading them over the top. What's the main reason for this loss? Are you putting it down to the system? Are you putting it down to the player, the coach? Uh, are you putting it down to someone on the Celtics going off? What are you saying with this? I agree with you calling out uh, Siakam. Uh, of course, he's not going to hear this. He's been flamed all over social media. Um, so... I wouldn't actually put the blame on Pascal. Why? Because we saw this coming. I place this blame solely on the shoulders of Nick Nurse. Because what did I say coming into this game seven, coming going into those game fives, game sixes, my predictions, what I want to see from this team? I said, I didn't want Pascal Siakam being the facilitator for, for this team. Whether that's from the top of the key, from the wing, um, he just, Played that job so poorly, and it means you don't utilize his strengths by having him out there. 
I talked about how his handle needs to be cleaned up. It's something he needs to work on in on the off season because he struggles one on one when he's uh, again out on the top of the key to actually get past his man when um, he's been defended by elite level players. These are guys that if you show the ball for half a second, if you don't protect it, they get in there and get a steal. There's a reason. Jalen Brown ended up with four steals, while Marcus Smart ended up with three steals. What I wanted was for Carl Lowry to act as the main facilitator, and we did not see that. What does that do? It means Carl Lowry doesn't get the assist numbers we're used to him getting. He got four assists. Uh, but it also means you don't maximize Lowry's game because Lowry really excels in that role. Uh, he's able to take shots uh, off the dribble when he's access the facilitator, it means you don't get Pascal Siakam down low. So I'm sorry, I've got to put this on Nick Nurse. After all that we saw in those first six games, you should have realised that this uh, attempt at just getting the ball to Pascal Siakam at all costs uh, clearly hasn't worked so far during the series. So there was no reason why in a game seven, when the defence is going to be turned up an extra notch by the Boston Celtics, that uh, this system or this tactic was going to work. So um, rather than, you know, solely place the blame on Pascal Siakam, I've got to say that Nick Nurse has to shoulder some of the blame. And that's true. I mean, we look at the plus minuses. The starters uh, for the first, well, for the third time this series lost. Uh, you had people like Gasol minus 19, even Lowry minus 10 and Van Vliet minus 8. But off the bench, you had Ibaka, who was a plus 6 in his 20 minutes. And there was real, real concern when he wasn't on the floor to end the game. I know there was also some concern from the coaching ends about, you know, him facing Kemba Walker in the pick and roll, uh, his, his lack of pace there, so he'd rather maybe go small. Um, but there was him, and there was also, um, I know this is becoming a bit of a cliche now, but there was Matt Thomas, who in his five minutes was plus six and <laughs> went one for one for three. But even... Even Jeff Van Gundy and Jack Armstrong and, and all the coaches, man, and all the commentators, they said Matt Thomas is the kind of guy who, in a series where the Raptors have really struggled with shot creation, really opens yeah. up the floor. And I think yeah. playing Lowry with, with Matt Thomas instead of maybe Van Vliet, because Van Vliet, again, struggled this game. He went 8-20. for 20. Uh, He got, was the top assister, but, I mean, three turnovers as well didn't help. And top scorer for the Raps. Yeah, top scorer, and but you know if we will look at the end game in a little bit, but a really bizarre end shot once Larry was off the court shows he's not mature enough to really take this team forward in postseason without facilitators around him. Um, why not why not bring in uh, Maddie T for for a little bit? But I, I understand that you know hindsight is perfect, and and Matt Thomas isn't necessarily the best defender against quite a uh, robust Celtics lineup. One bench player I do want to talk about though, um, and we'll move. To, towards the end of Game 7 here because the Raptors went into the fourth quarter 72-71 down so there's every chance right that they did seem like the lesser team but there was every chance someone like Lowry or Van Vliet would show up there was chance that maybe Siakam would get out of his funk um, but the Celtics then went on an 8 point run then they led 81-73 and they never really relinquished their lead uh, there was a brief moment where the Raptors got within 2 89-87 but then, as we know, uh, you know, towards the end of the game, uh, they just could not create an open look. And it was very poor half-court offence. Um, however, 
one thing that did happen was when it was 89-87, despite the Raptors being the lesser team throughout Game 7 and through the series, in fact, Norman Powell still had a chance to tie up the game. And it's almost mm-hmm. credit to the overall Celtics defense that that Marcus Smart block, which was astounding, like, I mean, yeah. a brilliant block, it hardly really got a mention at the end just because of how good the Celtics defense, both interior and on the perimeter, has been. Uh, it was his only block of the game, but and, and I was very surprised because, you know, it looked like looked like he'd been doing it all game. It looked like he was um, he was bam in his prime sort of thing. So yeah. uh, but, so the Raptors did, did come within within you know uh, a couple of inches of tying up of tying the game. Yeah. So uh, yeah. it, it could have been different. So I guess it's not there's not too much not too much to blame here. Um, one thing I guess you were upset about and you wonder maybe, maybe you can comment on uh, you maybe you can participate in some more Nick Nurse slander with this was the last end of game play when Lowry was fouled out and the Raptors were 90 uh, sorry 9087 behind they had 20 seconds to go up the court and create a shot but bizarrely it seemed to end with a really strange rainbow sort of three from Van Vliet why do you think the offense ran this way it is an offense that traditionally has done very well coming out of timeouts and in set plays but it just seemed without Kyle Lowry on the floor there was some confusion once the Celtics managed to ice the play yeah I think it is pretty inexplicable um I actually wouldn't focus too much on that play Kamel I think the game was over when we saw that block from Marcus Smart which is like you said they could have tied it up there and he almost came out of nowhere it is like you said the intensity that they brought all game all series long um so on that final play i wouldn't look too much into it yeah it is quite strange but you've got to put it down to the fact that um the celtics forced him there um and he didn't really have many other options in my opinion uh so uh, tough luck and I would say it may be if we move into a discussion of uh, just looking at the series as a whole yeah I think if we if I would pinpoint it to one factor when it comes to why the Raptors lost this series yes we can talk about Pascal Siakam not playing like his um, you know uh, NBA starting all-star self that we saw this year but what do I put that down to why did he not excel like he usually does it's because this Boston Celtics team excelled when it came to transition defense and the Raptors are among the best in the league when it comes to transition offense and so the fact that Boston were still able to get those kind of buckets for themselves those transition buckets for themselves but also limiting a Raptor the Raptors strength in that area I think that was the biggest factor uh, in this series yeah, no, that's that's true. I mean, Brad, you, you've got to give credit to Brad Stevens. There. I mean, this was a brilliant, almost chess match between the two coaches, but um, Brad Stevens just managed to just just managed to get it. And uh, unfortunately, Toronto ran out of gas. Um, they should be proud though of their type of defense, especially without Kawhi, who will come on to later, is also now out of the postseason. But you know, they should they should be proud. It was a uh, obviously a very strange season, um, but. 
you know, all, all credit to them, and I don't think anyone can really blame any sort of individual player. It was more they were stopped rather than they choked, um, apart from in a few instances this series. Um, the series as a whole, you're right. I think uh, just to rattle through a few uh, sort of series quickly, and credit to theathletic.com for this, Eric Corian. Um, for a few takeaways from the series, um, one is someone we haven't mentioned, <coughs> Oji Ananubi. Firstly, on the defensive end, he was able to both lock down Tatum and Kemba Walker. And he was fantastic on both of them, in fact, helped, you know, keep the Raptors in the game. And secondly, on the other end, he needs to have a larger role because he had a 57.3% true shooting mark uh, on just 13% usage throughout the series. And you wonder, you know, with players like maybe Ibaka leaving, maybe Van Vliet leaving, whether Ananobi, especially after his performance, not only in Game 3, but throughout the playoffs, can really, really step it up. So I'll finish on a positive note there. Um, we have already mentioned Kawhi Leonard, of course, and, uh, well, he was at the wrong end of perhaps one of the greatest comebacks in recent postseason history, wasn't he, Brock? Mate, come out. Uh, <laughs> it was absolutely ridiculous. We'd written them off. I think in our last episode, we said, yep, the Clippers have got that in uh, five. And uh, I wish I hadn't said that because uh, I was so high on the Nuggets team. But when I saw how the Clippers seemed to match up against them, uh, really nullifying uh, more than anyone, uh, Jamal Murray on the offensive end, I thought to myself, I don't see them coming out of this in any way, shape or form. But um, I can't believe what I witnessed in game five, games five, six and seven. It was not just the fact that it was a 3-1 uh, comeback, but in each of those games, the numbers were down and particularly in game six and seven, they were down double digits in the third quarter. And it would always be in the third quarter that they somehow managed to rally themselves back into the game. and. Uh, uh, we can use all the cliches in the world about uh, never say die attitude, um, you know, sticking out to the last, very last seven, second, never giving up. Uh, this team exemplified all of that. Uh, you got to give props to the team chemistry, team uh, message that Mike Malone was giving his players. We saw, uh, we saw it post Game Six when they were celebrating. It's just, I don't know. They seem to foster a sort of camaraderie that. Clearly, and I, I would say normally these kind of things are intangibles, Camille, you know, a camaraderie, team chemistry. But when you look at that Clippers team, you just didn't see that same level of energy. You didn't feel like these guys were playing for each other. Um, and when you look at various play styles of different players, like you would have Lou Williams just create his own shot. Montrose Harrell really create his own shot when he got the ball down low. Um, a lot of individual ball. Um, and really, who was getting assists? Yes, you can point to Paul George. Paul George actually did assist fairly well in the series because he needed to, because he absolutely sucked shooting the ball in the series. But Kawhi Leonard also uh, did a great job facilitating the series. But um, to me, the biggest difference between these teams is that I just didn't see that same, the players, you know, help each other out on the Clippers like we saw on the Nuggets. I think. It was light and day seeing how these two teams operated in that department. No, nope, that's true. I mean, the, the Clippers' offense, apart from a few 
nice segments of war movement which we saw during the third yesterday seemed completely dysfunctional and um at the same time you have to think that even if they didn't necessarily get good shots Kawhi Leonard went six for 22 Paul George four for 16 Lou Williams three for 11 and even if yeah. they're not getting great looks you expect you expect a higher you know field goal percentage than that you know Paul George two from 11 from three he's not taking 11 bad threes He's got. A, he's got. He, he had open looks yesterday, and one, one bizarre one in the fourth went off the backboard uh, from the corner. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but of course, um, I, I want to personally move on to the Nuggets themselves. I mean, Nikola Jokic. Uh, after oh. I've, I've underrated oh. him in the past, but he was just phenomenal yesterday. And oh. the thing is, even though he got 16 points, 22 rebounds, 13 assists, his overall play didn't even show up in the box score. You know, some of the nuance in his moves right whether it was you know making these short rolls making these little curling off ball runs i mean he's not <sighs> a, he's not the most necessarily mobile guy but he knows how to move and exactly where to move and he just absolutely he, he's the heart of that nuggets offense and he allows players like murray oh. to absolutely go off so i know i, oh, I, I can hear by your sounds you want to <laughs> talk about your i own. couldn't say it better myself i just agreed with everything you said and what made me realize that like, this guy is just on a completely different level to everyone else on this court. That includes Kawhi, by the way. Uh, the Clippers tried to trap him and double team him. And every single time, not only did Jokic make the correct pass, and sometimes he would get doubled while he was dribbling as well. So he had to pick up the ball and make the pass, but he was just so calm. Everything was almost as if it was in slow motion. He would pick up his dribble, he wouldn't panic and try to pass it away. He knows he's seven foot and nobody's going to strip him. He has a ball high above his head. So he'd just wait there for a couple of seconds. And not only would he make the right pass, but his timing and his the accuracy, the passing window in which he would pass it to would be perfect. And this was during the first half when the Nuggets were actually down by double digits. Some of the passes he made in that first half were just spectacular. Um, yeah, I mean, you say what his contribution doesn't show up on the box score. I think it does. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean he's, he's even more than that. I mean, I, I know, but I agree. Three blocks, but, I mean, <laughs> well, just, it's just not a bad stat line. Apart oh, yeah, from that, he also had two two steals and three blocks as well. Yeah. Um, that, I think, was one of the greatest Game 7 performances ever. And the fact that he finished with 16 points, yeah, again, tells you that he did absolutely everything else besides scoring as well. Um, he was unbelievable. Uh, Jamal Murray, uh, I just would like to say... You did say uh, Jokic opened up the offense for Jamal Murray, but Jamal Murray made some absolutely ridiculous shots. And um, there were two really, really off-balance three-pointers he had uh, in the fourth quarter, which uh, seemed like miracle shots. Like he was just chucking them up, but somehow they went in. He was unbelievable this game. And if you look at the first four or five games, he had similar level of um, you know difficult shots. And he wasn't going off quite the same way he was against the Jazz. But in this game, he just... Uh, turned on his MJ because, uh, yeah, the, the difficulty of shots was still very high. Um, Clippers, the Clippers still defended him very well, but he just made ridiculous shots. And you can strongly contrast it with Paul George because Paul George had a number of wide open shots that, like you said, there was the one that hit the backboard. But I'd like to also finish off my point by talking about Paul George because he had a good game six, 33 points. He was the leading scorer for the Clippers, but even in that game, you say, okay, this box score looks good, but 
first of all, 11 of those points were from the free throw line, which, okay, it doesn't take away from it much, but also shows that it wasn't like he was scoring from a heavy clip on the court, uh, you know, from open mid-ranges or free, free pointers. But it's also the fact that when they needed him most in the third quarter, when the Nuggets were on a comeback, that's when he disappeared. So the only good game that he had, even then, he couldn't do anything to stop the tide of the game. And that's what I saw in this game seven as well. When in the fourth quarter, you just knew everything was going to be on quiet shoulders because you knew, you could see by the way Paul George was positioning himself. He wouldn't even have his hand ready for the catch and shoot from the three-pointer in case he was past the ball. Um, he looked like he didn't want to be there. He looked like he didn't want to be taking those shots. And uh, if I was Kawhi Leonard, I saw his interview post-game, I would be fucking furious because he did get some help from the bench. Montrez Harold did have a great game uh, here. Um, he was great in the post-Montrez, um, 7 of 10, 20 points. But aside from that, it seemed like nobody else wanted to handle that pressure. And uh, I think... Kawhi's got to be ruined the fact that he's not in Toronto this year and possibly any Western Conference Finals. Um, let's see if this Clippers team sticks or stays together during this offseason. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll discuss it probably in another episode. But, I mean, imagine Kawhi with this iteration of the Toronto team. You know, people like OG and Van Vliet, one year older, Siakam still under his wing. You could, you could just imagine that Toronto would have run it back. But instead... Uh, he went home to the Clippers and, you know, don't particularly blame him for doing that. But And he was part of a super team which just absolutely flopped when, just at the wrong time against, well, perhaps, as you say, you know, sort of one of the most underrated teams in the league. Um, going over to, back over to the East now, the team that did beat Toronto again uh, lost their first game to Miami yesterday. And I guess it's something that not many were predicting. But it was two players, Jimmy Buckets and Bam Adebayo, who ensured that Miami uh, would have an overtime win. Uh, what did you make of this game? Was it was it, was it a surprise to all? Um, sorry. So when you said that, Kamel, you don't think it was? You think it was a surprise that the Heat won? Uh, yeah, I mean, they match up better against the Celtics than Toronto did, but. I would say the Celtics coming off Game 7, coming off playing, you know, at least six games of really good wire-to-wire basketball in the semi-finals, they would, they would take Game 1. And of course, they looked like they would right up until the end. Um, I don't know about Game 1 specifically. I mean, yeah, the Heat had had quite a few days off after their gentleman's sweep of the Bucks. But for me, going into the series, I thought... The Heat are pretty firm favourites. Um, just they've looked spectacular all playoffs long. They look like the best team in the East by far. Um, and as good as the Celtics looked against the Raptors, like I, if it was the Raptors versus the Heat, I would have in this current form, I would have the Heat and maybe five against the Raptors. They look, they have looked incredible. Um, and yesterday they were down by double digits in the fourth quarter, but. If we've, if you've watched um, the Heat so far in the playoffs, Kamel, uh, this wasn't foreign territory to them. I, I apologise, actually. I'm not sure if they were down double digits in the fourth, but they were down double digits in the first. And they were down double digits in the first game, in the first quarter, against both the Bucks and in their first series as well, the Heat. 
So it wasn't foreign territory for them. It's not foreign territory for them being down in a game as well, but their quality has shone through in the fourth. Every single one of these close games that they've had in the playoffs so far, there's a reason they're nine and one. Um, Jimmy Butler, Goran Dragic has been spectacular during these playoffs. Um, Tyler Hero has established himself as a proper two-way player. And he makes so many clutch threes for this team. He made another one uh, in this game as well, but um, he's looked phenomenal. Bam Adebayo, uh, you can talk about that play, Cabell, because <laughs> it was absolutely outrageous. But it, for me, it wasn't a surprise that this Heat team won. Um, the Celtics looked great as well. Um, this was a very high quality game, in my opinion. It, for me, it was a significant upgrade on what we saw in the Raptors versus Celtics, because both teams still played good defense, but there was, you could see there was a significantly higher level of shot making this game than we saw in the Raptors-Celtics game. So uh, I wonder if there's anything in particular you took away from this game as well. Well, one is something that Kemba Walker said himself, because of course, he did struggle to an extent in the Raptors series, especially towards the later games, but that was mainly, I thought at least, was because Nick Nurse was focusing a box in one defense on him. However, yesterday, he lamented his own performance. He only went one for nine uh, from three. And he just said yeah. after the game, I'm just playing terrible, to be honest. You know, over the last five games, he's only shot 14.7% from behind the arc. And uh, yesterday, he finished six from 19 from the field. He's been, you know, it's, it's not been a nice series for him. And despite, you know, other people, Smart, Jalen, uh, Tatum showing up for the Celtics, you need your uh, you need your point guard to be a talisman, and we'll sort of see how that continues. Whether his playoff woes continue, uh, I'm not sure if you maybe saw anything that Miami was doing to him. Of course, he was matched up. I believe he was matched up against Dragic for the majority of the game. He, of course, uh, can certainly hold his own. But Kemba, Kemba's a special player, as we know. So I was surprised yeah. uh, of his struggles. Um, going on, yeah, going on to that band block. I mean, it just looked an inevitability that Tatum would dunk uh, the Celtics' way to equalising the game. You know, but bam, Adibayo, you know, and you gotta, you got to acknowledge that Tatum wasn't his man. Tatum had blown past the Miami defence and that this was the end of overtime. You know, it's a tiring series, despite, despite Miami, you know, uh, as you say, having some rest. To the strength in his hands to yeah. get up and block Jason Tatum, who was, I mean, it was an emphatic dunk. And I guess if he did manage to make it, that would have been top of, you know, top of the Reddit pages, top of Twitter, um, yeah. dunk to equalize the game. And after a wonderful approach play as well. But I mean, you say, you say I mean, even Jimmy Butler, who was the Miami's closer throughout this game, and put in such a magical performance himself. He even said, you know, Bam's the heart and soul of the team. And, you know, I don't, I don't blame it. It was a, it was an absolutely brilliant defensive block. And Magic Johnson yesterday, I agree with him. He said it's the greatest defensive play ever in the playoffs. Um, wow. It's bold, it's bold, but, you know, you trust yeah. Magic, don't you? Yeah, um, yeah, I think you articulated that very well. Um, and interestingly there as well, Tyler Harrow almost had a triple-double as well. And he would have been... I think it's the second youngest player in playoff history to achieve a triple-double, and that would have been after Magic Johnson himself. Um, I think he was one assist away. Uh, let me check to see if that's correct. 
Oh, one um, assist yeah. away of, yeah, Magic Johnson as the second youngest. One assist away, yeah, from a triple-double. Um, wow. I mean, Bam, to be fair, Bam wasn't too far off either. He had nine assists, six rebounds. Um, uh, so I didn't hear that. I think Tyler Hero may be stealing a couple of Bam's rebounds. But yeah, uh, great game all round. I think we got a shout out Jay Crowder because he went seven of 11 from the floor, 22 points, five of nine from three. And this, to me, this version of Jay Crowder, he actually started in this game as well, which is quite interesting. Um, but this version of him, looks like the Jay Crowder who was uh, uh, I believe was he traded from the um, Celtics to the uh, Cavaliers in that Kyrie trade yeah it was, back a strange, when? It was a, yeah it was, it was one of those uh, strange strange I mean he, he didn't he didn't spend very long of course in uh, Cleveland, Cleveland. Uh, yeah and then he went Cleveland, to Utah then, as well yep and then he was uh, in Memphis no, this, yeah uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but no, this version of him looks like that Celtics version who was very much a two-way, three and D type player. He didn't ver- shoot the ball very well the past couple of years, but this playoffs, he's been a really big uh, piece for them as well. So yeah, he had an excellent game as well, especially against you know the likes of um, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, who Siakam himself really struggled against in the horror series. Is it controversial to say that Miami just eked out the win and they were firing on all cylinders. This is similar to what Toronto did in their three wins, right? They had to play their hearts out in order to just beat the Celtics. Should that be a worry going forward? I mean, I, I just think the Celtics look so good they could win when they're playing 90% and they can win when whenever the opponent aren't playing 100%. Or do you think I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm underrating uh... the Miami's ability to replicate so four, four games? I think what we've seen is that the Celtics can be streaky when it comes to shooting from the floor. And uh, when you talked about Kemba earlier, I remember even watching Kemba in his Charlotte Hornets days, he would always have very streaky three-point performances. He was one of the best guard scorers in the league, but he would have stretches of games where he'd be shooting genuinely like uh, two of 10 from three, one of 13 from three. Like He would have those type of games. Um, so what we've seen from him is not as maybe a random or as a barren, oh, I don't know what that word is, but um, as it may appear, and it does come down to the kind of playoff defense that you see. Um, he is an undersized guard, so if you're in front of him, he's going to struggle to see over you when he shoots. Um, what I'm curious to see, Kamel, is Gordon Haywood coming back into the series because he was actually warming up. Um, I believe this was even against the, the Raptors uh, before the game started. He was warming up there, and we didn't see him introduced in this game. But originally, when he got injured, there was a timeline for him to come back within four weeks. And now we are entering that fourth week. So it's something that I mentioned in the last series against the Raptors. I said potentially Hayward may actually be a hindrance to this team because you're taking the balls out of uh, the main two scorers' hands in the Celtics uh, with Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum. And you're inserting a slightly worse defender than Marcus Smart, who has not only defended brilliantly, but again, he had an amazing off- offensive game here. Six of 13 from three, 26 points. Um, and he gives you so much uh, in terms of his all-ground game. So I'm curious as to when we'll see Gordon Hayward back and what type of impact he'll have whether he'll come off the bench or not for this team. 
yeah, that's fair to end, uh, that's a fair note to end this episode on. Um, this all we can say is it's the end of Toronto's journey, but we'll still be here, um, albeit probably less regularly. But we will be discussing games like this because you know if if Denver's performance is anything to go by, then they'll give the Lakers there'll be a thorn in their side, if not more. Yeah. Of course, this Heat Celtic series looks fantastic, and. Um, I don't know, are you backing one of the two teams just emotionally? Uh, of course, with me, it's the Heat. I, I, I can't bring myself to back the Celtics. Um, <laughs> Jimmy Butler fandom makes me back the Heat anyway. So, um, I've, I've got to go with Lakers Heat finals. Uh, they look okay. like the two strongest teams. And, you, and, and right would you now. want that final as well? Is that, is that something that's. That's no, I, I would want Nuggets versus Celtics. But, uh... Oh, excuse me. Well, let's, let's, end, let's end it right there before, we, before, we, before, I, before I say something I don't want to say. Um, great. Well, we'll see you. I would say I'd say we'll see you after the next Toronto game, after game one, game two. But oh, there'll no. be none of those, none of those till <laughs> well, till the end of the year, really. Um, but we'll keep you updated. We're going to do a full season review as well soon, either before just before the NBA finals or just after, uh, as to not clog up your NBA podcast feeds, as we know we're a big part of it. Um, right. Well, I'll catch you around. Yeah, catch you next week, everyone.